the back side of the desert. Have you ever been to the desert? Yeah, a few people have. I like the desert. I don't know that I would like to live in the desert, but the, the desert's kind of a neat place to visit. There are some unique things that occur in the desert that you will not experience anywhere else. And when God calls you to the desert, you're going to experience some unique things there as well. The desert's quiet. Not a lot of people. Not a lot of distraction. Not a lot of birds chirping. One time, my son, he was, he was stationed in 29 Palms, and he was about to go crazy. They, they, had, they were not letting the Marines go off base. They could go off base if they, their parents were there, but otherwise they couldn't. And I don't remember how long he had been confined to, to 29 Palms. And I, I don't know why they call it 29 Palms because there isn't a palm anywhere. It ought to be called 29 Rocks because it's just out there in the desert. There, there's nothing there. And so he called one day and he's just about to go stir crazy. And he told his mom, he says, I, I got to get off this base. I got to do something. And so she gets off the phone with him and she says, book flights, we're going to get our baby. So we drove, or we flew out to, to Palm Springs and rented a car, and we went to the Joshua Tree National Forest. Anybody been there? Beautiful. It had rained. One of the rare times that it had rained for like a day and a half prior to our arrival. The weather was just remarkable. And the desert was abloom with all these, these flowers, these plants, and the fragrance was so sweet. And Sharon says, you know what? I could live here. I like this. And so my son, when we finally got to, to get onto the base and, and pick him up so he could get a little bit of time away, as, as we headed off the base, he was talking about how awful the desert was, how hot it was, how dusty it was, how tired of the desert he was. He was just fatigued, and, and Sharon's saying, but roll your window down. Doesn't the air feel so nice? And he's like, Mom, it's never like this here. This is a rarity. So have you been to the backside of the desert? I think most of you have. So let's read Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, beginning at verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. You see, his old people, his own people were slaves. They were being held captive by the Egyptians. And so he went out to, to see what was going on, and an Egyptian... He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I'd done must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. <clears throat> now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. 
When the girls returned to Riol, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he, Riol asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zephora to Moses in marriage. Zephora gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. A little bit of backstory about Moses. As we said earlier, Moses was born into a time when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. And they had been enslaved some 400 years in bondage. And they had prayed for deliverance. And they had cried out to God that they would be released from their bonds of slavery. And God gave a Hebrew woman a son who was somewhat unique. And even though a decree had come from Pharaoh that all the male children were to be slain, the mother knew there was something special about her baby. And she wasn't going to slay him. And she created this little basket and she lined it with pitch within and without, the word tells us. And she placed it into the Nile River and she set it afloat. She turned over to God that which she could not control. And as she set it adrift, you could just imagine how her heart broke. And, and Moses' older sister kind of followed along to see what was going to happen. And after a while, the ark became lodged in some, some, some bulrushes there. And just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter came to the river to bathe. And as she was going down into the river, they heard the cries of the baby, and they went and they rescued this baby from this little basket. And the mother instinct kicks in with Pharaoh's daughter, and oh, how cute he was, how wonderful he was. He's one of the little Hebrew babies. I think I'll keep him, I'll take him home with me, I'll raise him as my own. And so this boy, born into poverty, into slavery, was raised as a prince. In Acts, I think it's the seventh chapter, Stephen, in testifying to the Sanhedrin, he says of Moses, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. What's that mean? That means he was no dummy. He was taught engineering, he was taught physics, he was taught astronomy, he was taught communication skills, he was taught philosophy, he was taught so many things, he was so well educated. And he knew that in his heart that there was a call that had been placed, that he was the one who was to liberate the Hebrews from their captivity. But he did it the wrong way. Sometimes we find ourselves in the same position. Sometimes we know that God has a call on our life and a plan for our life, but we jump ahead of ourselves. And we take matters into our own hands. And we wind up making a mess of what God had intended to be something beautiful. When I was a little boy, there was this rose bush that grew in front of our house. And one of my favorite things was to go out and pick roses to give to my mom. And my mom, she would make over, oh, it's so wonderful. You're such a good boy. And, yeah, yeah, I know, you know. And I went out one day to pick roses, and there were none that were in bloom. There were plenty of buds, but none of the buds had opened yet. And I'm thinking, oh, this will not do. 
I can't just give her a bud. I've got to give her a rose. So I went through bud after bud, trying to force them open, trying to turn them into a rose. And you know what I turned them into? Nothing but a bruised and battered mess. And you know, if there's nothing else that we learn here this morning, that is God's timing is unique for our life, for our circumstance, for our situation. We can try to force what God has planned, and we wind up with something that we have to hide, something that we have to bury in the sand. So here's Moses, and he knows that this thing has become public, and he knows that he can't stay in this land any longer, and he flees, and he goes to a place, he crosses the desert, and he goes to a place, and he finds himself one day sitting beside the well where the flocks are watered. And I can imagine after his long journey, he's dry, or excuse me, he's sweaty, he's dusty, he's dirty, he's gritty, he's sitting in a place where livestock are watered and fed, and you know that's going to be a fragrant place to be. It's not the sweet smell of the flowers blooming in the desert that rises up to his nostrils. And here he is, a man who had been brought up in elegance, in royalty, in refinement, and he finds himself in a real deep mess. One time Sharon and I sat across the table from a couple, and they were from Kenya, and they had just taken a new position here in, in, in our region, and they had just recently moved into their new home, and I was asking him, was there a significant shift in the culture? And he says, in this very profound voice, you have no idea. <laughs> and I said, well, t tell me some. He says, well, it was the first day. He said, when our plane arrived in St. Louis, we got off the plane. There was no one there to greet us. And he said, we stood there while our luggage went around and around and around, and no one was there to take it off. He said they had made arrangements for us to have a car, and, and we got into the car, but, but there was no one to drive us. And my wife began to cry, and she said, they don't really want us here. They're not respecting us. And he said, oh, it, it'll be better, it'll be better. They're all at, at the house that they have provided for us. And he said they show up at the house, and there's nobody there. They had to carry their own luggage from the car into the house. She was so upset and so distraught because there was no one to unpack. He said, it will be better. We've arrived late at night. Wait till the morning. It will be better. He said, just after sunrise, she shakes him and says, wake up, wake up. And he says, what's going on? And she says, what do you smell? And he sniffs the air and he says, nothing. And she starts having tears down her cheek, and she says, that's exactly right. No one is preparing our breakfast. And he said, no one had laid out our clothes. No one had drawn our bath. And I'm sitting here just dumbfounded by what I'm hearing, and I said, well, you know, you came from Kenya. Were you from a wealthy family? Wealthy? And he laughs. No, my parents were both taught in public school. We were not wealthy. 
I said, but yet you seem accustomed to having someone serve as a valet and someone serve you in all these capacities. And he said, that is our culture. That's the answer to the question you ask. In Kenya, if you have a job, you share your, your prosperity with others. You hire others to do menial tasks. There are those who get up early in the morning and they go from household to household doing nothing but laying out their clothes for them. And you pay them a little bit. And there are others that go from house to house and do nothing but cook their breakfast. And he said, so for us to have come from a culture to where this is accepted into a culture where it is expected that we do it all for ourselves, it was a shock. Imagine the shock that Moses had when he, a man who was used to going anywhere with an entourage, that had runners who would run ahead of him and announce that his, he was coming, his presence was coming, bow the knee, bow the knee, making sure that everyone was paying the proper respect and homage they should to Moses to find here he was in a place where he wasn't known, in a place that didn't value what he knew, hiding out, fleeing the law, in a place that didn't smell well, seeking comfort from the cattle trough. Have you been there? Have you found yourself in those places? Have you been on the backside of the desert? I think some of you have. I think some of you know just exactly what I'm talking about this morning. I think some of you have been to those places where you said, God, how did I get here? Or God, why are you leading me through this valley? Why are you taking me to this place? I think some of you know exactly what Moses was facing. An educated man, accustomed to living the life of a prince, re now rejected by those who he had the heart to save, a criminal, reduced to menial labor, the labor of that of being a shepherd, an occupation that was considered an abomination to the Egyptians. I like the way Jim Croce would have approached this. Do you remember Jim Croce, the songwriter from back in the 70s? I remember some of the 70s. But back in 1974, he wrote a song. He said, they wouldn't listen to the fact that I was genius. The man said, we got all that we could use. So I've got these steadily depressing, low down mind messing. What's the last phrase? Working where? at the car wash blues. You guys don't remember that? I used to sing that at my job all the time, you know? Have you ever felt unappreciated? Have you ever felt like no one valued that which you've had to contribute? Have you ever felt like everyone else was rewarded and honored and cherished, but your gift just didn't seem to count? Have you ever felt that you were a square peg in a world of round holes? Have you ever felt that way? I've been there. I've hung out there a lot. 
So anyway, <clears throat> Moses had failed at what he thought he was called to do. He had suffered the rejection of his brothers, the rejection of Pharaoh, the loss of all he had held dear, the loss of all he had valued. He's sitting here sweaty, dirty, dusty, in a place that smelled like sheep. You know, sometimes being involved in the church doesn't smell the way that we think it should. Pastor Lynn Floyd one time said in, in one of his messages, he compared serving in the church like serving on Noah's Ark. He said, you know, dealing with people within the church sometimes is such a stench that you wouldn't stay inside if it wasn't for the storm raging outside. And you know, Christians can be abrasive. And sometimes we can step on each other's toes and we can get on each other's nerves and we can hurt each other's feelings and we can cause scars within each other's soul that may stay there for years. The tongue is a sharp tool. It can be used to build up. It can be used to tear down. So why do we find ourselves on the backside of the desert? Because there's things that the desert can teach us that we cannot learn in the palace. Thank you, Jesus. The first thing that we learn in the desert is, is servanthood. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Now a priest of Midian had seven, a Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water the father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reuel their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reuel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Even in obscurity, Moses had a heart to serve. Even with anonymity, Moses had a heart to serve. There are many people who would serve if serving meant that they would be the ones who stood in the limelight, if they were the face that was projected forward. But there are few that are willing to serve if the task is considered to be menial or if the task is concerned or considered to be degrading. There are more people who want to be on the praise team than there are people who want to be cleaning the bathrooms. There are more people who would rather stand up and preach, me not being one of them, but there are more people who would rather stand up and preach than there are those who are willing to pick up the trash. You see, if we want to be used of God, if we want to be attuned with what God is trying to shape and form and do within our hearts, within our spirits, we must be willing to stand up and to accept the duties regardless of how menial they are, whether or not we get recognition for what we are doing. 
We talked in this morning's service about Mike Heiser who runs the sound booth back there. And I said, how long have you done it? Mike's response was, I, I don't know. Between services, somebody came up and said, almost 55 years. 55 years of giving of his time and his talents to the Lord's service. We as a congregation are preparing to celebrate 101 years as a church. More than half of that time, one person has been faithful and consistent in his service to the Lord and gave of what God had given him. You know, if he does a great job, nobody notices what he does. But if he makes a mistake, everybody looks back at him. You know? I mean, that is how it works. That is how service works. If we are part of the machinery and we're doing our thing and we're not trying to be the squeaky heat wheel, we're just trying to be a servant of the Most High God, then we are part of a whole organism or machinery here that brings the gospel of Christ to a lost and a dying and a needing world. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I miss Brother George this morning. If you see Brother George, encourage him. Tell him Rich McGill misses him. Pray for him or he's struggling with knee problems. Moses served in obscurity. Moses served in humility, despite the fact that the Egyptians looked at being a shepherd as something that was beneath them. He was willing to do the task that was before him. There are other things that you learn in the desert. And one of the most important things that you'll learn in the desert is you'll learn to trust. You can't survive in the desert without a source of water. You need to know what water source you can trust. You're not gonna survive very long in the desert without any food. You gotta learn what it is that you can eat. Sometimes we find ourselves in, in a dry and a weary land and we don't know who or what it is that we can trust. Exodus chapter two, verses 23 and 25, during that long period, how long of a period was it? King James Version says, after spending many days, 40 years, 40 years in the desert, 40 years in the wilderness. So after many days, 365 times 40, that's a pretty big number. He was there for a long, long time. What is the point here? The point is when we are suffering, when we are praying to God for relief from the situation, from the circumstance, from the place where you are at, every moment we spend there, is a very long time. Einstein was at, told to give a simple explanation of his theory of relativity. And he said, all things are indeed relative. He says, if I were to have you sit in a room and talk to a beautiful girl, you might sit there for an hour. And if I ask you how long you were there, you would say, oh, it was only but a few moments. He says, and at the same time, if I were to take you and set you on top of a hot stove 
and I was to ask you, how long did you sit there? You would tell me hours, when in fact, it may have only been a few moments. What's the point? The point is, when we are suffering, we, we find ourselves in these hard spots, these hard situations, when life has dealt us a blow, maybe one that we did not feel that we deserved. You know, sometimes we find ourselves on the backside of the desert because our jobs played out. We were laid off. Sometimes the jobs just evaporate. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations because somebody has done something to us and has caused us discomfort, that has caused us suffering, that has caused us grief. And we pray, oh God, Help me through this time. And in our minds and in our perspective, it seems like God is silent and still forever. Forty years on the backside of the desert. Can you trust God in his unpredictability? In the desert, you learn to trust. To get to the point where you understand that God knows what it is he is doing. After 40 long years, God intervenes. You know, it ain't so hard to trust when your bush is burning. When you hear from the very mouth of God, when you're standing face to face in his presence. But let me tell you, there are many folks that turn their backs on God before the bush experience because they grow weary in the wait. Trust in God. Oh my. Trusting is difficult. It's difficult because it tries our faith. Faith is precious to God. And faith is tried in adversity that it may be strengthened and that it may be refined. Oh, comfort seldom teaches us what we need to learn. But the key to being able to trust, despite our ability to understand, despite our ability to see, to trust even when God seems unpredictable and the path is unclear, that is our objective. Oh, the Hebrew children said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Can we say those words? Can we stand on our two feet in the midst of adversity and say, this does not change me from my objective. I will remain true to the course. Though I may die a martyr, let my life be spent for Christ. Oh, until we come to the point that we can trust and believe that his word is true and that God is God and he is in control of every circumstance, of every situation that we find ourselves in. Oh, but Brother Richard, you don't understand. I put myself in this situation at my own hands. Let me tell you something. Even though you step outside of his will, you are never, never, never outside of his care. Even though you may walk the wrong path, his heart always yearns for your return. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know if it's ministering to anybody or just me, but thank you, Jesus. It's difficult to see beyond our circumstances, 
But, e- but God is there even when we can't see him, even when we can't seem to touch him, even when we feel surely he has forgotten us. God is still there. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The other thing that we learn is obedience. Oh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a brush, brush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why, does, or why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Forty years of nothing. And then one day, a curiosity, a bush begins to burn. And Moses just says, I'm going to go take a look. I'm going to go see what this thing is. And when he gets there, he finds himself on holy ground in the very presence of the creator of the universe. And God says to Moses, Moses, go. And Moses says what? No. And God says, go. And Moses says, no. And the exchange continues three or four times. God telling Moses to go and Moses refusing to do so. After 40 years of a heart yearning for this moment, Moses could not accept what God was giving or God was commanding. Why is that? The reasons can be many, but part of the reason could be that he still carried in his spirit the scars of rejection. God, I tried. I tried once before. I went out and I tried this and it didn't go well. And, 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 and they rejected me. They didn't listen to me. They didn't accept what I had to offer. Part of it could be that the scars of rejection were still very present within his spirit. Perhaps he truly believed that he had outlived his usefulness. He was 40 years old when he got here. He's been here for 40 years. So 80 years old, maybe he's thinking, I could have done it when I was a young person, but maybe not today. Maybe it's after 40 years of putting his head on the pillow each night and being reminded of the suffering of his brethren, those who kept crying out for 40 years to God, saying, God, where are you? When will you deliver us from this bondage? When will you deliver us from this persecution? And carrying that in his heart, knowing that he was not effective in bringing any deliverance any comfort, any peace to those whom he loved. 
Maybe that was the reason. Oh, but then Moses says to God, he says, who am I? God does not answer Moses' question directly, but farther down, God replies, and he says, Moses, I am who I am. He's telling Moses, it doesn't matter that you're slow to speech. It doesn't matter that you may stammer or stutter. It doesn't matter that you're 80 years old. It doesn't matter that you've made a mess of your life. It doesn't matter that you've been spending your last 40 years in obscurity. It doesn't matter that you feel in your heart that I have not heard you. It doesn't matter that you feel rejected. It doesn't matter that you feel like your life is a failure. I am who I am. And if I say go, you will go. You will deliver. You will be victorious. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hallelujah. Oh. There have been days in our lives that we felt God was so far away. There have been nights in our lives that we have laid our heads on pillow just to soak them with our tears, thinking nobody cares, nobody hears, but let me tell you, he is with you every step of the way. You have not cried a tear that he has not seen. You have not carried a burden that he has not been there with. Let me tell you, when three Hebrew boys were said they're going to burn in the fire. There were four people that wound up in that fire, and one of them was the Son of God. Hallelujah. Oh, when Potiphar's wife long falsely accused Joseph, and he was thrown into the prison, the Word of God tells us that God was with him in that prison. He prospered despite the circumstance, despite the situation that he was in. Oh, Get your breath, brother. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. It is important. Do you know that God can reach you wherever you are? Oh. Jesus said, can't you buy three sparrows for a penny? But yet when one of them falls to the ground, God is there. And how much more valuable are you than sparrows? You may find yourself in a den alliance, but let me tell you something. When they come to check on you in the morning, you'll say, glory to God. God sent his angel, and he shut the lion's mouth. You may find yourself like the disciples out on the sea, fearing for your very life, saying, who will deliver us? And let me tell you something. Jesus will come walking on your waters. Oh, he could have stayed on dry land. There was no need for him to get his feet wet. He could have stayed in a distance and calmed the storm. But he came to where they were at. And he comes to where you are at. In your circumstance, in your situation, in your time of need, you may think he's not hearing you. But let me tell you something. He's listening. He's listening. Hallelujah. You develop resilience in the desert. Let me tell you something. You may not know. You may not know when that bush is going to burn. 
You may not know when God's glory is going to be revealed. You may not know when God's presence is going to be revealed in your life. You may not know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It may be 40 years from now. But let me tell you something. God has a plan for each and every one of you today. Oh, you are not here by chance. You are not here by circumstance. You are here this morning because God has ordained it to be so, to be reminded that he loves you, that he is in charge of every circumstance, every situation in your life. Don't worry about the battles you are facing. Just hold to the hand. God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hold to the hand that is driving you, that's directing you, that's leading you through the this conflict through this life. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I could go on. I could ask you, like God asked Moses, ooh, what is that in your hand? It was just a stick. It was just a chunk of wood. It was just something, a trinket he picked up in the desert. But let me tell you something. Whatever it is you've got in your hand, God can use it. It was a thing that God used to deliver his people. It was a thing, the instrument through which God performed mighty miracles. It was the instrument through which God parted the sea. It was the instrument through which water came from the rock. Let me tell you something. You have picked up a few things in this desert. You have learned a few things. But the most important thing is to learn that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's end it here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promise. And God, we may be a bunch of round pigs in a square hole world, but you are our God. You are our redeemer. You are our deliverer. You are the one who brings to us truth and life and hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your many blessings. And let us never forget your love for us. Amen. If there's anyone that has any needs and would like to spend a few moments in prayer, please come down this, this time and we'll pray for you. And if not, thank you for being patient. Thank you for being here. Share the love of God with somebody else. And always remember, he loves you more than you will ever know. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.